Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for August 20th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we learn about a potential $5 million grant to help Arkansas meat processors expand. We also talk Catfish Month in Arkansas with Chad Causey of Catfish Farmers of America. And we discuss the recent outbreak of VSV that's hitting hoofed animals, particularly horses, in the state. First, Ken Moore is joined by Chad Causey of Catfish Farmers of America. Causey discusses the governor's recent proclamation of August as Catfish Month in Arkansas and the continued importance of the industry to the state despite a drop in the number of farms in recent years. I'm speaking this week with uh, Mr. Chad Causey. Chad is spokesperson for the Catfish Farmers of America, and we're going to be talking about the importance of the catfish industry in Arkansas. Governor Asa Hutchinson has proclaimed August as Catfish Month here in the state, and they had a special ceremony last week at the Arkansas Department of Agriculture to celebrate uh, the fact that uh, we are promoting uh, the uh, industry, uh, the catfish industry here in Arkansas. And so, Chad, thank you for joining me on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Absolutely, Ken. It's good to be with you. All right. Well, Chad, uh, as we know, uh, aquaculture is huge in Arkansas, and, and it's a very important part of our agricultural industry. Uh, fish farming uh, is is very important, uh, not just uh, farm-raised catfish, but bait fish and, and many other types of aquaculture. But uh, in particular, uh, farm-raised catfish. People in the South love their farm-raised catfish. Talk about how important this industry remains here in the state of Arkansas. Well, Ken, thanks. And it is an important industry here in the state. Aquaculture, uh, in many ways, got its start in uh, Arkansas uh, and has spread throughout the country. Um, uh, Catfish farming has been a part of of Arkansas and and farming for a half a century or more uh, in in production scale. We've, We've got farms throughout the eastern part of the state uh, producing you know, roughly and, and sometimes a little north of $20 million in, in catfish sales. Um, but aquaculture is a big part of the state again, and, and catfish is is on a national level uh, the, the biggest part of aquaculture production in the country. And uh, catfish remains a very important part of Arkansas farming as well. And Arkansas, though we have uh, we had you know 20 years ago, uh, quite a few more farms uh, at that time in the 90s and the early 2000s. Sure. The water acres and the number of farms have declined somewhat since that time, but uh, uh, the farmers that we do have are producing more, aren't they? They are, and as you mentioned, uh, pond acres in the uh, mid 80s were uh, close to 30,000, and now you know, we are, are somewhere just, just south of 10,000 pond acres in the state. Uh, and that reduction partly is because of an influx of dumped, uh, low-quality, unsafe, unhealthy uh, foreign fish into the country, primarily from China and Vietnam. Uh, and uh, our farmers here in Arkansas had to weather that storm like farmers in, in Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana. Um, and and battled through that, but but lost lost acreage and production because of competition with 
unfairly cheap and inferior product. Uh, but but also part of that reduction in acreage is because of efficiencies gained in farming. The technology has improved. The techniques have improved. Farmers can do more with less now. Um, so if they don't need as many pond acres, they're not using those. So we have seen a reduction uh, in in pond acres, partly due to an increase in gained efficiency with a with a lower number of acreage. Well, technology helps improve efficiencies in all forms of agricultural production, doesn't it? And so that research, uh, I know research uh, had been done uh, through the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, uh, one of the leading research institutions in the country, uh, helping uh, improve production for our catfish farmers. And so uh, that's just key, isn't it? Research and technology are helping, as you just said, uh, the catfish farmers that we do still have, uh, do more with less? It is. It is, uh, Ken. You hit on it. Research is vitally important to the industry uh, of catfish production. It helps gain those efficiencies, helps our farmers, as I mentioned, do more with less. Um, you know, they have developed um, hybrid uh, catfish species that uh, gain weight at, a, at, an, increased, at an increased pace, uh, which helps in production output. Uh, but 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 don't forget the promotion side too, and promoting right. the healthy, safe, uh, and affordable product that Arkansas catfish farmers produce. And I think that uh, was why we were so excited, and always are excited, uh, when the governor and uh, Governor Hutchinson and Secretary Ward uh, proclaim August as Catfish Month and help us highlight that important industry for the state. And we uh, are. are very excited each year when we have a chance to do that and showcase the the industry for uh, not just Arkansas but for the country. Well, talk about that. I was going to ask you how is the uh, Catfish Farmers of America organization? You know, we think about uh, farm-raised catfish. Everybody likes a great catfish dinner and some hush puppies uh, here in the South. But uh, you're promoting that nationwide, aren't you? And uh, trying to introduce what we've known about for years. Uh, to other parts of the country. Sure. Yeah, catfish production is in 22 states around the country. Uh, most, mostly you will find that production in Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, and Texas, and that's in, that's in and then Louisiana. That's in order of size of the production. Uh, actually, just recently, I, I believe Louisiana is putting some more pond acres back in, so uh, their pond acreage is increasing a little bit. Texas has increased over the last several years. But from a consumption standpoint, uh, throughout the Sun Belt, I would say, in the Southeast in particular, uh, is a very strong market for catfish products. Uh, Texas is the biggest state, the biggest market for catfish products. Um, but, the, but the products are sold, uh, catfish is sold throughout uh, the United States, and, and we have uh, a team at the Catfish Institute that does great work and promoting the industry and promoting uh, catfish uh, to the entire country, and they do a they do a good job with it. You know, the industry overall, Ken, is I mean, has struggled in the last several years. Like, you know, not not unlike other sectors of agriculture, it's not it's not been uh, easy going, so to speak. We've had you know continued challenges with dumping of cheap um, underpriced foreign product that 
our farmers are forced to compete with. They, um, you know, Southeast Asia does not have the labor and environmental standards that we have here in the U.S. Uh, you know, the U.S. consumers expect a uh, a healthy um, and, and affordable product, unfortunately, because of some uh, lax inspection uh, at FDA over the years, a lot of unhealthy product got in that was deemed safe. Uh, but that's been corrected through a move to, to push inspection from FDA over to uh, FSIS under the USDA inspection umbrella. So more of that foreign product is being inspected, actually 100% versus less than 2% is what used to be inspected. Um, so we're, we're working to make sure that at a minimum um, we are, are making uh, very sure that the product that is coming in and, and being offered for sale in grocery stores and served in restaurants is, is healthy. And we've, we've been successful with that work, uh, but we still face a lot of, uh, a lot of product that is artificially priced and, and underpriced. Um, so that's been a, that's been a challenge for farmers, and obviously, uh, you know, now in today's world in 2020, uh, you, the impact of the coronavirus has been uh, detrimental uh, and and very injurious to the catfish industry. Um, Ken, about 70 percent, if not more, of our market is. Uh, via you know, food service and restaurants. And as you know, and uh, your listeners will mm-hmm. know, in, in, mm-hmm. in mid-March, restaurants closed, convention yeah. centers closed, hotels closed. And with that, 70-plus percent of our market closed. And that uh, has been that's been a struggle for the industry. Uh, but like the rest of Arkansas agriculture, I mean, our farmers are tough. They're hardy. Um, you know, they're working hard to survive. and, and and as as they say, this too shall pass, and we will we will get to the other side of this, uh, and and hopefully be stronger because of it. Uh, but but it's been a rough year, and and overall, you know, it's it's never been an easy game to get into catfish farming. But uh, yeah. the folks that are in it are are really good farmers and do a really good job with the playing field that they've got, and that's part of what we do with Catfish Farmers of America and is we, we try to work to help level that playing field for, for Arkansas farmers. Outstanding, and we appreciate that very, very much, Chad. Uh, I know I was visiting with uh, and had the opportunity to meet our Arkansas Catfish Farmer of the Year, Mr. Terry Cruz of Woodruff County. He farms uh, down there uh, south of McCrory, and uh, he was sharing how uh, the Catfish Institute, you know, because of your promotion and and. Uh, whatever that the restaurants that do offer U.S. farm-raised catfish are asked to, uh, you know, put uh, signage up or, or inform their customers that what they are ordering and enjoying is U.S. farm-raised catfish, and so that promotion is very important, isn't it? It is. It is. And Arkansas has been great. Um, you know, the, the the governor has been great on the promotion front. Um, you know, as we mentioned with the um, August catfish month proclamation that we recently did but terry's right when when consumers go in and they can see that sign that says u.s farm raised catfish uh that's what people want to see and when they go to the grocery store now they'll see um you know a stamp on that product that says usda inspected uh 
Um, and that gives the you know, American consumers like to see those things. It gives them mm-hmm. confidence yeah. in what, what they're consuming. And we were able to work with the, the Arkansas General Assembly a few years ago to help make that labeling law in Arkansas uh, a little bit more clear, so restaurants have to be more clear about what they're serving. Uh, and you know, you you can't you can't call catfish, uh, you can't call something else catfish, you know, unless it actually is catfish. It has to be labeled as such now in restaurants. Um, of course, in the grocery stores, that's handled by federal labeling law, but in but on the restaurant level, that's a state law. Uh, and the Arkansas Department of Agriculture does a great job making sure that you know restaurants follow those rules and instructions. And um, you know, it just when we, when you see that sign, U.S. Farm Raised Catfish, uh, uh, that certainly when when our industry, our farmers walk into a restaurant and see that, they have a lot of pride in that sign. And we hope that and think that our Kansans uh, feel the same way when they see that sign, knowing that they're going to get a you're going to get a good, tasty product. Yes, they are. Yes, they are going to get that. And, and we love our catfish. I know that you referenced how the pandemic has impacted uh, restaurants statewide. They're trying to reopen. Many have. Uh, but with catfish, so much of that is catered business, isn't it, for special events, uh, especially throughout the Delta. Uh, it's a Delta specialty. And many people love to have, uh, you know, our caterers uh, provide that meal for them. For but because we have to socially distance, I can only imagine how the catering business has been suffering. It is difficult, um, you, you know. I mean, just by nature, you know, who we are living in the South, and I think part of our culture is, you know, we we like large gatherings. We like to get together with family and friends and um, have you know, break bread and have, have, uh, have big meals. And, you know, that catering business is a big part of that. And, you know, today it's just not safe to do that right now. So, um, it is made, um, uh, it has had an impact on the industry and in terms of demand, uh, that we see, but, you know, good news is, is that, you know, some of that demand is starting to come back. And mm-hmm. uh, caterers and food service businesses are adjusting and evolving and, and finding new ways to serve. Um, you know, just the other day when we did the event at the proclamation signing, we had a caterer there uh, who was able to um, move from you know what we would have normally done um, six months ago was a you know had a buffet style um, catfish dinner and everybody could come through and. <clears throat> excuse me, grab the grab the tongs and get as much catfish as they want. You know, that's how we like to do it. But right. today we, we can't do it that way. So, you know, they would they were serving prepackaged catfish dinners for everybody and uh we stayed separated and, and wore our masks and um uh, got our prepackaged dinner and then we could make space outside and, and, and still have that communion, uh, still have that fellowship uh together. And um, uh, it was still a fun event. Uh, it's just a little different, but that's what we're going to have to do for the, you know, for the time being. In the near future, is adjust. And I think our farmers, uh, this is not the first challenge that they've had. Um, and and I think uh, farmers a lot more than than some of us know how to adjust because 
you know, they're dealing with so many variables and factors with weather and storms and uh, market conditions and unfair uh, imports and, you know, now a, a pandemic that, that severely hurts demand for product. So, you know, we're, we will adjust and um, we will, we will survive this like, like um, Arkansans have survived things in the past. And no doubt about that. No doubt about it. Well, we appreciate our catfish farmers here in Arkansas. We're proud of the fact that uh, Arkansas, you know, ranks in the top 10 in many, many agricultural commodities. And, and we're still number three uh, in the production of farm-raised catfish. And, and That's uh, right. we're proud of that fact. And so, uh, Chad, thank you so much for representing the catfish farmers of Arkansas here with the uh, CFA, Catfish Farmers of America, and and helping be spokesperson for this important industry in our state. And uh helping us talk about the importance of it to our ag economy here in Arkansas today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, Terry Cruz is a great representative and, and a, a, a well-deserved um, Catfish Farmer of the Year for Arkansas, so we're, we're excited and proud to have Terry representing the industry for Arkansas. But appreciate your support and the governor's support and, and Secretary of Ag's support for the industry as well. You betcha. Terry told me he's been farming there in McCrory for over 30 years, and I think that's an outstanding testimony. Yeah. So they are. Good. He and Barry are very. Uh, he and Barry Kane are great farmers and, and great representatives for the industry. They certainly are. Listen, uh, Chad. Thank you for your time. We've been speaking with Chad Causey, uh, spokesperson for the Catfish Farmers of America, on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Greg Patterson talks to Dr. Chelsea Bland-Smith of Broken Owl Veterinary Services about the recent outbreak of VSV that's primarily affecting horses in the state. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Dr. Chelsea Bland-Smith. She's a veterinarian with the Broken Owl Mobile Vet Clinic out of western Arkansas, and she also works in Oklahoma and Texas. And Chelsea, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about vesicular stomatitis. Hey, no problem at all. And, and tell us, what is it? Because we've had an outbreak here in Arkansas recently. Um, in eight counties, there's some, you know, uh, restrictions on travel and whatnot. What is this disease or virus? So it's a virus and it's spread by um, vectors such as um, biting flies like um, the black flies and midges or chelicoides. And it has a life cycle. Um, it's, you don't see it every year in the US. You see it pretty frequently in Mexico. Um, and it typically tends to travel up the Rio Grande River. So you can kind of see it more in the Western portion of the United States. Um, but it's something that kind of waxes and wanes. Usually the greatest control that we have is when we go in to have our first frost um, and we get rid of um, our flying vectors. Other vectors can be um, horses sharing stalls or buckets. Um, so direct and indirect contact as well. So it, it comes and goes. I think the last major outbreak in the United States that I read about was in 2015 so here we are in 2020 and it's cropped up again um i also read that originally uh it it got here this year in april um 
you mentioned the insects that are involved and the fact that it comes up, uh, what's its relationship with water and waterways? So you see the, um, it tends to follow the waterways. So like what I was talking about, the Rio Grande. Um, and it tends to be around kind of marshy, soupy areas. Um, in Arkansas this year, we've had at different times, extraordinary amounts of rain. So that has helped to um, basically perpetuate VS within the state. So basically what you're saying is you've got insects that breed in these waterways and it's those insects that act as the transmissible uh, vector, as you said, to get it into the animals. What do livestock owners, and talk about the livestock that, that get this particular virus, what do livestock owners need to pay attention to and look for? So any animal that is hooked, so that includes horses, cattle, llamas, pigs, goats, sheep, um, anything that has a hoof can, is susceptible to vesicular stomatitis. The majority of outbreaks that we have seen have been in horses. The type of lesions that you'll see will be blisters around non-haired areas or thinly haired areas such as the mouth and muzzle, um, you can see, it almost looks like the uh, best relation I can come up with would be like canker sores in people where you get sores in your mouth. The vesicular stomatitis is very similar to that. So you can see lesions around their mouth. Um, very rarely do you see it on their ears, but you can um, around the coronary bands on their hooves is less common, but it's possible. And then also around udders or sheaths. So horses seem to be the main hoofed animal right now that's uh, having an issue with this, but it can also affect cattle, correct? Correct. And you do a lot of work with ranchers and, and cattle, and obviously those are huge industries in Arkansas, yeah. Oklahoma, and Texas. Have you had any phone calls yet? Have you seen it yet? Have you had to treat any animals yet? So far, haven't seen any cases. Um, one thing that is important for owners to know is if you see any odd lesions is to call your veterinarian um, and then they need to get in touch with the state veterinarian and the federal veterinarian both, which um, both have positions with USDA, APHIS and vet services. And then they will come out and assess the situation and determine what needs to occur from that point as far as they'll take swabs of those areas of the blisters and then run lab tests on them. And then that determines if the facility um, is quarantined or not. This may be an off the wall question, but can, can humans get this disease Absolutely. or this virus as well? It's not common, but it can occur. So making sure that when you're around animals, um, and this is just a good thing in general, um, as far as biosecurity and hygiene, that you're washing your hands between animals. If you happen to have a um, animal that has VS, that you change clothes between animals before touching them because you can transmit it from your clothes, shoes, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it can be transmitted through buckets. Um, so those are all indirect um, vectors or causes. Um, and it can also be caused 
um, with direct contact. So like horses touching noses or something like that, in addition to the flying vectors. So if you, if you suspect you have an animal that, that has this virus, obviously you said call your vet immediately. Uh, but also I would assume you would quarantine that animal in some way away from the other, other animals. Yeah, and that's where getting assistance from the um, state veterinarian and the federal veterinarian in charge of that state is really important. Another reason that it's VS is a reportable disease is because it looks similar to other reportable diseases like foot and mouth disease um, because the lesions are very similar. So sometimes you have to do laboratory testing to definitively define which um, disease that you're dealing with. And I would think also that um, stock tanks, you know, water uh, areas and things like that, you would have to pay close attention to because if an infected animal is drinking from a stock tank, that could obviously affect some of the other animals on the farm as well. Absolutely. And that goes to correlation and to going to different events, making sure that your horses are only drinking out of their water um, in their feed trough that they're not you're not sharing buckets with your next door neighbor say that you're at the truck wagon races and your horse is thirsty you need to use your own equipment and make sure that um, you're not spreading the disease that way because the animals can be subclinical and not showing signs um, but then you can end up spreading it that way if they have um, some smaller blisters that haven't been noticed. Any of the blisters that open, the virus is within those and then the discharge out of the blisters is what will spread it. Now, I mean, this hasn't been a normal year by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and here we are talking about uh, an animal virus, you know, with hoofed animals. But this is the time of year when normally um, stock are moving quite a bit because of uh, county fairs and different things going on or, or large organized events that include particularly horses. Do you have any concerns in, in that, that manner? I think if people would do their due, due diligence, sorry, um, as far as flight control, um, making sure that before you leave your property that you're spraying for um, flies in your trailer, removing manure, that kind of stuff, um, utilizing fly sheets and fly masks on your horses can also be another big portion that can help reduce the spread. And then um, one of my favorite products to use is called Ultra Boss. It's a topical uh, fly control. Um, use it a lot in cattle. It's labeled for horses and a few other species. And I started using it on my guys this year and have been really pleased with the results. One of the bigger things with the Ultra Boss is making sure that you're going from their behind their ears all the way down their back to their tail head instead of just putting it in one spot. Um, and let it sit for about 24 hours before you ride so that it doesn't cause any issues with the saddle where it's sitting. Um, but that's something that I'm definitely going to use on my guys going to Clinton this year. How about, um, is there a vaccine for this? 
Unfortunately, there's not. Um, and part of the reason behind that is the vaccine development is extremely expensive. So for something that doesn't have a normal cycle in the United States, it's really hard for the drug companies to justify the cost in developing a vaccine. Well, this all sounds eerily familiar <laughs> in so many ways. So if there's not a vaccine, um, what things should people do if, you know, all of a sudden their, their animal, they really suspect it has it, obviously call the vet and, and quarantine that animal. What are some of the things that you as a veterinarian can do for that animal? Does this result in death in the animals or can, you, can they come through this okay? So one of your biggest aspects with it is supportive care. Um, some animals are so painful that they won't eat and drink properly. So you may have to do some IV fluids or um, do a tube into the stomach, a nasogastric tube or orogastric tube, depending on your species and uh, potentially put um, food stuff and water in there to keep them going. Um, and that, that depends on the severity of the situation. Uh, it also depends, um, pain control is also something that is really important, but if the animal is dehydrated, then that can cause secondary issues. So working with your veterinarian to determine what the best course of action is for your individual animal is really important. Very rarely is um, VS fatal. Um, it usually will run its course anywhere from um, one to two weeks, and then um, they'll be over it. But the supportive care is the important aspect of it. How contagious is it? It's fairly contagious as far as um, the direct contact aspect of it. It's not as, it's not as contagious as something like influenza. Um, but it's still something to definitely be diligent about and concerned about. So making sure when you're going to horse events that you're not letting horses touch noses and rub on each other and stuff like that, especially if they're not pastured together. Well, just for uh, folks' information, the counties that are in Arkansas, and I'm going to read from a list here that, that currently have movement restrictions are Baxter, Benton, Fulton, Carroll, Marion, Madison, Crawford, and Washington counties. And then one county up in Missouri, Ozark County, also uh, it's been found up there in Adair County in Oklahoma. We've been talking with Dr. Chelsea Bland-Smith with Broken L Mobile Vet Clinic and Dr. Smith, if somebody, like I say, you practice all over the place. Um, if somebody needs to contact a vet, go ahead and give your number. My number is 870-557-8404. You can also find me on Facebook at Broken L Vets. Um, and I post a lot of different pictures and cases that I do throughout the week. Um, so if I end up with a case, then I'll end up posting it, um, but I'll also follow up with this interview and post some additional information and links. And you are truly a road warrior when it comes to <laughs> traveling and getting around. 
uh, folks can also go to the Arkansas Department of Agriculture website, which is www.agriculture.arkansas.gov. Uh, Dr. Bland Smith, thank you so much. She's been telling us about vesicular stoma stomatitis virus, VSV as it's known, and it, there has been an outbreak here in Arkansas. And thank you so much for spending time with Arkansas AgCast, we appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity to provide that education. And if you have questions, feel free to contact me or your local veterinarian. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Finally, Keith Sutton chats with Jessica Burkham, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Director of Policy Development and Legislative Research, about a $5 million grant that, if approved, could help Arkansas meat processors upgrade their facilities. She also discusses a visit to Northeast Arkansas last week by USDA Undersecretary Greg Ibach. Today I'm visiting uh, with fellow Farm Bureau staff member Jessica Burkham. Jessica works in our Public Affairs and Government Relations Department where she's Director of Policy Development and Legislative Research. Welcome to AgCast, Jessica. Thanks, Keith. We are really glad to have you. You've always uh, got some news to share with us when we talk, and uh, this week is no exception. Uh, I know there's uh, several things been going on that you'd like to tell folks about. Let's start with... Uh, some news about a new meat processing grant. Uh, can we start there? Yes, that sounds great. Um, so yesterday, the uh, House and Senate Agriculture Committees met, and Secretary of Agriculture Wes Ward presented the uh, CARES Act meat processing grant proposal. What this grant would uh, would do, as presented by the secretary, would um, use five million dollars of the CARES Act funds that Arkansas received earlier this spring to address COVID-related uh, budgetary issues. We received 1.25 billion. So this grant would be five million dollars out of uh, that 1.25 billion, so 0.4 percent total to allow custom meat processors to upgrade their facilities for the purpose of inspection, whether it be federal um, or equivalent, so, so state inspection. We understand that there's uh, not a state-inspected um, program uh, currently at the Department of Agriculture. That program was suspended um, in the 80s. However, the law remains on the books. So this grant proposal would allow these custom facilities to make capital improvements, including uh, livestock handling facilities, um, purchase new equipment, purchase, you know, food safety um, equipment that they would need to uh, be certified for inspection purposes. Um, Farm Bureau asked, for this program to be a 90-10 cost share uh, pr program, grant program, which means that the processors would be required to keep some skin in the game, which we think is needed. So they would be required uh, to cover 10% of the cost of the, of the upgrade, um, and the grant would, be, would provide up to 90% of the cost of whatever they are doing. And I would like to also note that this is also going to 
to be available for new construction. Oh, that's so, good news. Absolutely. I mean, Arkansas has very, very limited packing capacity. And as we saw uh, during COVID this spring, when those big packers uh, went down because of COVID-related issues, um, you know, they slowed their line speeds. They had to tempor- temporarily go offline for a week or so. There was real panic at the grocery store. Right. For the first, yeah, yeah. For the first time in modern era, consumers went to the grocery store, went to the meat counter, and there was nothing there. So uh, this proposal, this grant proposal, would allow for more uh, shackle space here in the state and allow the producers who participate in the farm-to-table business model to you know, continue that and, and allow producers, new producers, to enter into that that business market. Um, we heard from legislators yesterday who are also producers that are equally frustrated as our members because they can't book a hog or uh, a beef uh, to be slaughtered um, until 2021 and then sometimes 2022. I mean, that's, uh, that's really a lot kind of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's way out there. They're want, they have the animals, but there, there's so much going on at those plants that we have to go months out before they can actually get an animal slaughtered to, to sell. Exactly. And as our, um, you know, one, uh, Michael Lee, who is the Arkansas Farm Bureau Beef Division Chairman, and he's also an area VP for Arkansas Cattlemen. Uh, he spoke yesterday in support of this grant, and he said that, you know, in some cases, those calves that are going to be slaughtered in 2021 and 2022, they're not even on the ground yet. And wow. how can he, as a beef producer, manage his risk and manage his business when he doesn't know what the market outlook would be, what the demand will be, um, but he knows he has to get those dates booked because we only have three USA inspected facilities in the state that allowed right. him to sell beef beef cuts, ground beef steaks, et cetera, to consumers. Right. They have to be inspected. And, and we support an inspection because it just upholds the integrity of the of our food and protects our producers. It protects Arkansas families. Um, so, yeah, this, this grant, this $5 million grant uh, was sent um, to the Governor's CARES Act Steering Committee yesterday afternoon as recommended by the Ag Committee, and the Steering Committee approved it, and so hopefully by the end of the week we receive some good news and the money is appropriated out so folks can start accessing um, this grant money. Excellent. That'll be big news for our producers if that grant money becomes available. Absolutely. Um, in a High Plains Journal article from July 12th of 2020, uh, there's a animal science professor from North Dakota that is quoted, and he's trying to estimate some of the costs of these capital upgrades. And to retrofit an existing facility would be about $150 per square foot, and to build a new facility would be about $400 per square foot. So a 3,000-square-foot building, brand-new building, is going to cost upwards of $1.2 million. Wow. I mean, so, right. 
Is there going to be enough money, I guess, is what we might ask? You know, Keith, that's a really good question. I would say initially, um, yes, Farm Bureau, we asked for $10 million. Um, the committee approved five. Uh, right. You know, there's a lot of competition for, for these dollars. Um, but I would like to make the point that this program and the steering committee approving it definitely sends a signal that, you know, it wasn't just health care. It's not just education, right. but agriculture was also impacted by COVID and is of equal importance. Um, as those other industries, if not more so, you know, people need to sure. eat. And if they're not, if they're hungry, they're, they can't focus on schoolwork and they're not going to go to the doctor. Right. So this is extremely important, uh, just like all the other aspects uh, of what we're having to deal with. Absolutely. So uh, what else uh, was on your list of things we should talk about that are going on? Sure. Um, so Last Friday, uh, we had USDA Undersecretary Greg Ibach in the northeast part of the state. He held right. um, a uh, beef industry stakeholder roundtable, uh, which was awesome for that part of the state. We don't typically think of northeast Arkansas as right. production territory, but there are you know several several producers out there, and uh, we met. Um, with folks from Farm Bureau, Arkansas Cattlemen's, ASU, Farm Credit, Livestock Marketing Association. So we had a great group of folks that were there. And the undersecretary um, spoke with our guys about USDA's uh, report they rolled out last month on box beef and fed cash price um, investigation. So, I don't know, Keith, if you remember from last fall when the Titan Holcomb plant fire happened and we yeah. saw Yeah, we saw prices, you know, box beef prices just shoot through the roof and there was really? a lot of concern, yeah, about, you know, getting cattle to slaughter in time. And uh it seemed to have just been, you know, one black swan event. Well right. fast forward to twenty twenty and COVID nineteen hit. <laughs> So um, not, you know, another huge black swan event. Again, box beef, uh, box beef prices shot through the roof. The live cattle market limited, and our producers were on a roller coaster ride. Um, and there was a lot of concern about what was going on in the packing industry in terms of seeing very high box beef prices and very low live cattle prices. So this report kind of outlines a little bit of USDA's initial findings. Um, they make some recommendations, um, but it's really up to Congress to take a look at those recommendations and see if they want to act. Um, <laughs> so uh, maybe, maybe not, huh? Right, right. So <laughs> I guess we'll we'll see. Um, and I know that uh, you know the undersecretary shared uh, Secretary Purdue's. Um, unwavering support for the cattle industry and wanting to help producers. As right. you recall, they rolled out that CFAP program in May. They have now extended the, the deadline for producers to sign up through September 11th, I believe. Uh, so if folks who have not signed up yet to receive assistance or or 
help under the CFAT program, I encourage them to visit with their FSA offices um, right. and get that paperwork filled out. Um, the other, uh, the Undersecretary also uh, shared the, the work that they've been doing on the uh, Farmers Families Food Box Program. I know they visited the Northeast um, Arkansas Food Bank where they took a, right. a look at what uh, local producers were providing for local families to, to purchase as everybody tries to navigate this uncertain time. Um, all in all, it was wonderful to have the undersecretary back in Arkansas. Um, I think it was his third time he's been here with us. So extremely accessible, understands the issues, understands our producers, and uh, we look forward to hearing more about this investigation report. We know it's with the Department of Justice, since they have jurisdiction over bringing forth any type of charges. So I guess uh, what we should tell everybody is please tune back in again. Uh, we try to update everybody pretty regular on our uh, AgCast and, and through other avenues. So we'd like everybody to come back and hear hopefully some good news when we're able to talk again. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, 2020 has been a tough year, and yeah. I think everybody in agriculture and, and in every industry can empathize with that. And we are working really hard to try and bring some really positive programs and uh, results for our producers, and we will continue to do that, continue to work with our counterparts um, at USDA and our congressional offices, uh, other state farm bureaus, uh, other organizations, just to try and advance some uh, smart policies and, and push for good outcomes for our folks. But no one works harder than Arkansas farmers and ranchers. Uh, we admire that. It, it drives us daily and continue to keep that in mind moving forward. And we're all glad we've got you and the rest of our folks uh, down in public affairs and government relations uh, working hard as well. And we appreciate you uh, talking with us today, Jessica, and we'll hope to talk again soon, and, and maybe we'll have some more good news then. Absolutely. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate it. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. Check in next Thursday for more news and views on Arkansas agriculture.